Christians are weird. Or at least that's how they used to be viewed, as weird, as outsiders, as those who didn't really seem to fit in with their communities and with mainstream culture. Sometime in the first couple centuries of Christianity, before it became a dominant force in the Roman Empire, an unknown author, possibly a Christian man named Quadratus, but no one's really sure. But whoever he is, this author wrote a short treatise defending the Christian faith, a a treatise that became widely read and passed down through the centuries. And one of the great things about this treatise is that it gives you a sense of just how weird Christians seemed, how odd they seemed to their Roman neighbors, because, because the author has to go to great lengths to explain why Christians do what they do and why they're not really as bizarre as some people might think. We Christians don't look different from the rest of you, he says. We don't speak a different language. We don't wear different clothes or eat different food. But there is something that sets us apart. That he admits. For Christians, he says, live in their own countries, but only as aliens. They participate in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. That's one thing that does set Christians apart, apparently, or at least one thing that used to set them apart. As much as they may have dressed and looked and eaten like their countrymen, they knew that they weren't really at home. They lived in their own countries, but even there they felt in some way like foreigners aliens, those who don't quite belong. Of course, those early Christians, they weren't the first or the last to feel this way. Many, many years later, the 19th century English author, G.K. Chesterton, he talked about his own sense that as a Christian, he didn't really quite belong to the world in which he lived. The modern philosopher, he said, had told me again and again that I was in the right place. And I had still felt depressed, even in acquiescence. But I had heard that I was in the wrong place, and my soul sang for joy like a bird in spring. I knew now why grass had always seemed to me as queer as the green beard of a giant, and why I could feel homesick at home. You can also find this theme expressed multiple times in the scriptures, where the people of God are regularly characterized as aliens and wanderers, strangers in their own land. Abraham, the great father of faith, he spent his life as a nomad, wandering from place to place awaiting a promised home. For centuries, his children, the people of Israel, lived under oppression as foreigners in the land of Egypt and then as tent dwellers in the wilderness. And even after they left Egypt, the Lord regularly reminded them of their identity as foreigners. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, God tells them in Exodus 22, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And again, later, the psalmist says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. And give ear to my cry, and hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. The New Testament picks up on this theme as well. 
In fact, the author of Hebrews goes so far as to say that really this is the condition of everyone who follows God in faith. In talking about the heroes of faith in the Bible, he says that these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. But perhaps no New Testament book makes this theme more central to Christian existence than the letter of 1 Peter. On multiple occasions in his letter, Peter refers to the early Christians to whom he writes as strangers and exiles in the world in which they live. Conduct yourselves with fear, he says in chapter 1, throughout the time of your exile. In chapter 2, he appeals to them and says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. And perhaps most strikingly is how he characterizes them in his opening words. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Are these places that Peter mentions, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, they weren't cities, but they were provinces of the Roman Empire, all clustered together and covering a region, a very wealthy and highly traveled region, with the Mediterranean Sea on its western border and the Black Sea on its northern border. It's basically the same area that's now covered by the nation of Turkey. So, so these people, they're Christians living in the region, and Peter refers to them, he describes them as the elect exiles of the dispersion, or diaspora, as it reads in Greek. And some readers have taken this reference to a diaspora, and they've assumed that Peter must be referring to, to Jewish believers in particular, since Jews living outside of ancient Palestine were often referred to as members of the diaspora. But Peter's repeated use of this language of exiles and strangers Peter's repeated use of that language makes it clear that he's not just thinking of those who are literally living away from their home, of Jewish people in the dispersion. He's actually referring to all Christians who live in this region. And what he's suggesting is that all of them, whether foreigner or not, they all now find themselves as exiles and strangers, as outcasts within their own homes. As the New Testament scholar Joel Green says, Peter's strangers are not Jews living among Gentiles in the expected sense of these terms. Rather, these are people whose commitments to the Lordship of Jesus Christ have led to transform dispositions and behaviors that place them on the margins of respectable society. The Christians to whom Peter is writing are those who may have once belonged those who may once have been just as comfortable and at home in their towns and provinces as any other Roman man or woman. But now something has changed. And now they find themselves to be different, set apart, strangers to the world in which they once felt so at home. But what is it that's caused this change? What has made them exiles in their own communities? Peter actually reminds them what it is in his opening greeting to them. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
he says, By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What has changed is that God has given these Christians a new life. They have been birthed into a new existence. And now, Peter says, now their lives are defined by a new hope, a living hope, he calls it. A hope focused on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. John Calvin comments on this verse, and he observes that when Peter talks about this living hope, he seems to be suggesting that this is the main difference between these exile Christians and their neighbors. It's what they hope for. That's what sets them apart. There is an implied contrast, Calvin says, between the hope fixed on the incorruptible kingdom of God and the fading and transient hopes of man. And that's why they now feel like strangers and exiles in their own lands, because they don't hope for the same thing. Their hopes are no longer centered on the the fading and transient desires and dreams of their neighbors, because they know that they're moving toward a much greater future. They're not hoping for a better life now. They're hoping for a resurrected life to come. As one Kenyan scholar put it, Peter is reminding them that they're all foreigners, not necessarily because they have been displaced from their homelands, but because their true homeland is in heaven. Wherever they are on earth, they are merely temporary residents. But Peter doesn't think that being a stranger or a, or a temporary resident is just some accidental byproduct of this new hope. It's more than that. It's actually a calling. Christians don't just happen to be oddballs or strangers in their communities. That's actually their vocation. That is, in fact, the mission that they've been given. And it has, or at least it should have, a radical impact on the way that we as Christians live. Notice what Peter says in verses 14 and 15. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct, for it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And to really appreciate what Peter is saying here, you you need to pay attention to that last sentence and where it comes from. For it is written, he says. Well, where? Where is it written? Well, as you may know, this statement comes from the Old Testament, from the book of Leviticus, to be more exact. It's actually repeated four times in the book of Leviticus in one way or another, but the one that's closest to the wording Peter uses comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, when God says to Moses, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And with these words, God is reminding the nation of Israel that he has set them apart from the other nations. So what being holy means, being set apart. And they're supposed to reflect that in the way they live, their their life and conduct, the way they treat people, what, what kind of things they value, how they respond to difficulty or threat 
In all of this, they are meant to be distinct, set apart, different from all the nations around them. And by their distinct behavior, they're meant to bear witness to the distinctive and holy character of their God. That is their purpose. That's their vocation. And that's why the way that they live matters so much. This statement in Leviticus 19 actually comes in the middle of what's sometimes called the holiness code in the book of Leviticus, which is this whole group of laws dictating the way that the Israelites are supposed to live, what, what kind of moral obligations they have to their neighbors, what kinds of sexually immoral behaviors they must avoid, all these rules and laws about their behavior, and right in the middle of it, this reminder from God of why their conduct matters, because he has set them apart, because they are his special chosen people, and because what because how they live is now a testament to the world around them of who he himself is. Now, if you keep that in mind, you'll understand immediately why Peter quotes this verse here in the first chapter of his letter. Because he's basically telling these early Christians spread all around modern-day Turkey. He's basically telling them the same thing. He's saying that they too have been set apart. They're different. Their lives are defined by a different hope and by different dreams than everyone around them. And by the way they live, they are bearing testimony to who God is and how he is redeeming the world in Christ. That's why Peter tells them that they shouldn't be desiring the kinds of things they used to and that they now need to be holy in their conduct. Interestingly, that, that early Christian treatise that I mentioned in the beginning of this video, the letter to Diognetus, it basically says the same thing. Christians, it says, live on earth, but their citizenship is actually in heaven. And that's why they conduct themselves differently from their neighbors. It's what makes them weird. Unlike other Romans, for instance, this treatise says that Christians don't abandon unwanted children. Unlike other Romans, Christians don't engage in adultery. They love everyone, and by everyone they are persecuted. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are cursed, yet they bless. They are insulted, yet they offer respect. Christians are strange. They don't behave like other people expect them to behave. What seems so important to the people around them doesn't seem as important to them. And no matter how poorly they're treated, they seem to respond with charity and hope. At least that's how it was in the early years of the church, if this, if this ancient letter is to be believed. But over time, something changed. Over time, Christians went from being this marginal minority group to being the dominant force in the Roman Empire. Christianity triumphed and overtook the Western world. And for a long time, Christians seemed to be less foreigners and strangers than comfortable and successful citizens of the world. Not all Christians, of course. 
Throughout the course of history, in every age, in every place, there have always been Christians who have understood that this is not their home, that their lives are defined by a greater hope, and they've lived accordingly. But that's harder to do when it seems like everyone around you is Christian, when what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a citizen of your own country seem almost indistinguishable. In situations like that, it's hard to think that this letter, 1 Peter, that it's actually talking about you. And that's why, as as strange as it seems, it's why sometimes a decline of Christian influence can actually be a gift. A number of years ago, two prominent theologians from Duke University, they wrote a book where they talked about how in America— the influence of Christianity is waning. There once was a time, they said, where Christians could just assume that their neighbors were just like them, that being a Christian didn't make them stand out. It made them fit just right in. They shared the same dreams. They shared the same hopes. They valued the same things. But those days are largely gone, they said. And while that may not be a good thing for America— it does present an opportunity for Christians and for the church. Because now being Christian doesn't make you just like your neighbor. Now it makes you weird, makes you stand out. And that means that now you have an opportunity to embrace the calling and vocation that Peter's talking about, to accept that you're odd, to accept that this really isn't your home, and then to live accordingly. The name that those two authors gave their book was Resident Aliens. That's the title of the book. I like that. It's it's remarkably similar to how Peter describes the Christians to whom he writes. You, he says, you are resident aliens, strangers in the world, bearers of a living hope set apart to be holy. Holy. 